This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Daniel Howitt's interview with the director for Trolls Band Together, Walt Thorne, and the film's producer, Gina Shea. We are going to make boy band history tonight. Bro, you're making baby branch nervous. I feel like I'm going to barf and pass out and... Pee your pants all at once? How'd you know? Give it up for Rosa! My exquisitely chiseled rock hard abs and I quit. Branch, we're out of sync. We've gone from boys to men, and now there's only one direction for us to go the back streets. Bye. See you later. Branch. What? Oh, hey. Are you all right? You're smiling and crying at the same time. It kind of looks like it's hurting your face. It does hurt my face. Walt and Gina, thank you so much for your time today. I have to tell you, I have two five year olds at home who are obsessed with the Trolls movies. So I'm just thrilled to be talking with you. Yeah, thank you. Nice to meet you. I We just get excited, you know, I, I like when the kids are watching, man. Absolutely, we had a big long road trip this summer and the Trolls World Tour soundtrack played on a loop for, for days, just days on end. So uh, <laughs> so I appreciate you, all the music that you've given us. Uh, you're welcome, and there's a whole new one now, Daniel. Exactly. Oh, so you can switch up your playlist. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, Walt, it's it's pretty rare for one director to complete an animated trilogy. What made you stick around for all three installments? Well, Gina, for sure. I mean, Gina and I have been partners forever. So whatever we make, we want to make together. That was true. And uh, I'd say I'm not speaking for Gina, but we both love the endless opportunities in the playground that the troll universe has. You know, there's there's really no limitations to our imagination of what we can do in this world. And Gina, same thing. You, you've stuck around for three. Other than partnering with Walt, what's kept you around on the <laughs> Trolls franchise? I think it's something that comes like from deep inside of us. Um, just from the initial like seed of the idea of making a psychedelic musical and creating characters that we can really actually relate to on a personal level <laughs> and and all the the fun we can have with the world as Walt said like we created an entire universe that does not have too many rules um and it's just refreshing to work um in that um without too many parameters um as well as like going on it, like creating an entire musical scape, not just a visual scape, but a musical scape. Well, uh, making a film centered around reuniting a boy band is fascinating when you have Justin Timberlake on board. Was getting in sync uh, on board the first step or would you have would you have made the same story without without them reuniting? 
Well, that came that came later in the mm. process. You know, I think we really wanted to explore boy bands. We first started talking about family bands and the history of family bands with this blood harmony and the power of the sound of that. That eventually started going to talk of boy bands, with obviously with Justin involved. And then later, the NSYNC thing happened, right, Gina? Yeah, it was, it, it was, there was a certain point where we were looking for the best possible song and Justin worked on something with Shellback and they found it and he came to us in like at the beginning of the year and said, I would love to um, bring in sync in for this song and try to literally get the band back together, which is the story of the movie. Um, and so, you know, we we went bananas with that information, but we had to keep it under wraps for so long. It was it was like the most covert operation we've ever um, we've ever created at DreamWorks Universal. I think like there was a certain point where so many people knew. And I was just like stressed out every day, but <laughs> the, um, the secret in sync cabal. <laughs> like, oh, so many people could know, man. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Well, so I guess you answered my next question. I was going to ask if there was ever any discussion around having in sync voice the brothers in the film. Was that was that ever a conversation? I mean, the, your voice cast is phenomenal. Yeah, no, not it wasn't like that at the beginning. You know, we really the the roles of the brothers besides being boy band that's one aspect of them but they were such rich characters rich fully realized characters and i think from the beginning we wanted to cast people that had these attributes in them you know like eric andre was so big and dangerous and bigger than life and funny so that was good for the leader of the group and boisterous you know there's then there's down to troy savan who has these kind of this natural warmth to him you know and, and a, a biting wit as well so i think it was always our intention, you know, right, to build this super boy band that we created. <laughs> yeah, it was it was nice to also um, we needed to differentiate these characters as much as possible. And I mean, the NSYNC um, boys uh, are very talented. Um, so, and, and when they came in to voice their parts, um, it was really fun and, you know, obviously they, they know what they're doing. Um, but also when we were trying to build an entire voice cast to, um, you know, building these ensemble casts are difficult in that we need to differentiate the characters as much as possible, but then also make them sound like their brothers. <laughs> so, um, you know, they carry a lot of weight in this film. Yeah. And we wanted to operate even outside of that. I think if it was in sync doing the Brozone characters, it really kind of says it's some kind of parody of Justin's past as opposed to kind of inspired by it, I think. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, where do you get started on the soundtrack? Because I'm obviously that has to happen pretty early on. Uh, what sort of direction did you give for the music as you were developing the the visuals of the film? Well, we slowly start to build it, all of us. Like Gina and I are partners on this thing from the very, very beginning before anybody else comes on. So we start talking about the music. And once we have a script and the story, we're kind of 
placing moments for music. And then as we're building it, we start going, oh, this would be great if we use this song here. And Justin gets involved. He's like, oh, wouldn't it be great if you had an original song here? So it's really a group effort where we're both just tossing, all of us tossing in ideas for music and fitting it into the shape of the story. Yeah, we also want to make sure that we have like anything new that's going to be an original song that it it has a unique narrative uh you know place in the film that carries a bit of narrative but it can still be played on the radio and you can you can place your own story over top that you know you can take away what you want from it but in the movie it does make sense <laughs> Yeah, that it functions both as a piece of pop music you could listen on the radio and a narrative musical moment. It's really fun to craft those things. On the pre-existing music side, was there any song that you really wanted to include that you just you know, either couldn't land the rights or, or couldn't make happen? I think for me, I usually bring up David Bowie's fame was the only one that we, and it wasn't because we couldn't license it. It just didn't fit in the movie in the right way. You know, so we went with, uh, you know, the fame, uh, the theme from the movie theme, fame, which really, it worked really well, fit in there just right. I mean, I think, Gina, wouldn't you, don't you think we got every yeah. song we wanted to put in there? Yes. Yeah, we were able to get what we, what we wanted to our heart's desire. Oh, we did want to, we were trying, we, we were trying to fit in um, Karma Chameleon. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Stay yeah. Tuned. If we, ever, I, we both love that song. We had the villain <laughs> sing it at the beginning in one version, but you end yeah. up <laughs> empathizing with them too much. They were like in their younger days singing Karma Chameleon. It was so good. But again, it wasn't because we couldn't license it. It just didn't work for the movie. Yeah. Totally. No, the theme from Fame works perfectly in Mount Rageous. I think it fits the characters. The The music is a little dark. I think it's great. I think it's great. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, you did expand the world of trolls significantly in this third film with, you know, the Mount Rageous and Vacay Island. Uh, tell me about developing the the looks for the characters in those different worlds. Yeah, that's such a fun part of the process. Once we kind of whittle it down, these are the worlds we want. These are the kind of values and aesthetics that the <clears throat> world should embody. Then we work really closely with the art department from our character designers to our production designer, Ruben Perez. We use him for the first time on this film. Just kind of just exploring what does it mean and watching these things grow. Eventually with VK Islanders, the characters who we wanted to move and behave a certain way, that first were inspired by kind of dog-like behaviors that became okay they're they're like a water balloon covered in a terry cloth terry cloth towel like these things these ideas just come in and start to build on top of each other yeah we did start with the basis of like the mount regions were like cat-like and that the the vacay islanders like you said well were like dogs so they they just kind of spiraled out of there because the mount regions are all T very like spindly teenagers <laughs> and they have yeah they're yeah. kind of self-absorbed like cats may be kind of you know and the, the fake island is a little bit more relaxed and cool and laid back you know yeah there there, there are some more paintings playful. yeah yeah more, <laughs> more playful there's paintings of the vacay islanders when it's this city of dogs <laughs> pretty wild <laughs> that's amazing the the pink eye bit uh, felt really personal. That felt really authentic, which 
who has the personal experience there? Oh my God. All of us. I mean, yeah. Gina's kids are grown now. Some of mine are grown. Some are still little. It's just a part of being a parent, man. You got to deal with some pink eye. I haven't gotten yeah. there yet. So I'm, you know, crossing oh. my fingers here. I hope for you. You never have to experience it. That's great. That's great. Awful when we have to, we have to do the research for that. You're like, okay, we got a pink eye moment in the movie. And then it's like, you know, your, your algorithms are off and, but it's just so horrible. Actual pink eye. But like, how do we make yeah. this pretty and fun and charming? I know I have one word for pink eye crust. Oh, oh Gina. <laughs> you captured it so perfectly. Gina like. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, that's great. That's great. No, in the uh Vacay Island, there were moments the the animation is so crisp. There were moments where I was trying to tell if it was live action. It almost looked like uh not sock puppets, but like it looked yeah. like almost muppets to a degree. Was there was there any uh were you trying to make it look physical? Yes. Okay. Yes, definitely. We're always trying to make it feel handmade. And puppets are such a big influence on us. I mean, Gina was making puppets back in college, right, Gina? Like, you've, yeah. you're a puppet maker. Like, puppets I are came such into a, this you know, world a puppet maker. Yeah. Yeah, now you're going out a puppet maker. <laughs> puppets have been, for the puppet thing, has been important to us. On the last film, we took the animators, they all went to puppet camp, we say. It was like a, a program we put them through to make them think differently about how to move characters around because there's always a puppet influence but this time we were given such carte blanche such support from the studio and we were so playful with the animators they said let's go all the way let's let them move like puppets and it was so much fun it just inspires the crew and i think it it makes it exciting for the audience too you never know what you're going to expect you've watched them in unforgettable adventures love affairs and tragedies now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. And Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. Yeah, this tactile stop motion feel of Trolls that goes all the way, you know, back to Trolls 1 with our production designer, Kendall Cronkite, just taking the that hair. All we had was a doll. There was no story. There was no look. There was, that's it. All we had was one doll that everybody, every doll looked pretty much the same. And that had a felted, you know, little outfit on tunic. So that's all we had to go with. So we just kind of, we created everything based on that. I know, is that wild? How you can yeah. extrude from that one moment. Yeah. And, and, and so we have this like fuzzy immersion of a world where you know audience can go and they can sit in this fuzzy environment and so it's all like kind of DIY and 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 like we we always love making tactile things we actually built some tactile actual practical models of we had artists come in textile artists to build um, models that we would photograph and get underneath and all of that and and like use that as inspiration for the artist. 
Um, and I do think that helps um, tremendously. And it, it feels like we even talked about making it stop motion from the beginning, but it was just, you know, you could achieve pretty much almost the same thing in, in CG now, and it's more iterative. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and the technology is so good. I think just the imagery itself, like you were saying, Daniel, that it got it gets more crisp. It gets puts the tools the uh, tools in the hands of the artist in an even bigger way, and that's why we can create these kind of otherworldly feel. I, I think that's so fascinating. The, the blank slate idea that you had, you know, almost ten years ago. Why did you land on musical? This could have been any any sort of story with the trolls, like you were saying, because it's such a blank slate. How did you know that these characters needed to sing and needed to be so musical? Yeah, that really the came answer was like pr pretty simple. Like yeah. to me, it like presented itself because I had to find my way into wanting to make a movie or franchise, like that turns into a franchise about like these little trolls and what I remember about them. So it like kind of just goes back into my childhood and go, why did I like these characters, these little dolls? And I have them in my shag carpet in the seventies and where we listen to records like psychedelic records and play with them in the shag carpet. And it was just like clear, like the tone, the comedic, tone of them too like they're they've got these big eyes but they could be children or they could be grandmas like <laughs> it, they could be any you could just project anything onto them and like your imagination goes because there wasn't any story for them so you you know it was all like creating your own story I didn't play like I played with Barbies a little bit but I played with like trolls and like Spider-Man <laughs> <laughs> and so it was trolls or spider-man for me but um, the music is such a good the just, music is such a good tool right like you said yeah. like they became like these are such happy creatures that they would express themselves with music music is such a great thing to use in the movie it's a direct into the audience's feelings and their heart plus it's just so much fun everywhere we yeah. go there's music surrounding us and to be able to harness that and put it in the movie was great well Amazing. said well, obviously, the first two films were, were big successes, but were there learnings from those films that you took into this one? Like, oh, we, you know, we don't want to do that again, or we don't want to, you know, what were, th what were things that you improved upon from the first two films? Well, we're definitely trying to avoid, right, you know, we call it like, we don't want it to be Trolls Greatest Hits. You know, mm -hmm. we, we, we want to put in there what makes the films great, but also push beyond that. You know, we didn't want to do the same old jokes again. And, you know, you want to give the audience this sense of familiarity, but you want to push out past that, you know, and, and believe it or not, one of the things I learned from the last film where we had like six new environments, six new uh, <laughs> kinds of trolls, we said, let's peel back. Let's so we can sit in each environment a little bit more. It sure doesn't look like that when you watch the movie, but that was the <laughs> intent. That was the intent. <laughs> That's great. What about you, Gina? What did, what did you learn from the previous ones that you brought to this film? I learned that we can we can continue to push more and more, push against the audience's expectations. And also, like Walt is saying, you know, give the audience what they love about these characters, but but offer them something completely new. And last time our we had kind of we had big epic stakes of like world stakes. And 
I thought it would be cool to like turn the stakes inward and it be personal, interpersonal relationship stakes for this one. And not that I thought like, oh, well, we shouldn't have had world stakes for the last one. Like that was perfect for that movie. And this one, I feel like it, it should be different. That's great. It, it is so fascinating, I think, to to look back on Trolls World Tour and the fact that it's a pretty significant movie in film history now uh, because yeah. of, uh, you know, the day and date release and kind of being that first of the the premium rental idea. And I know that th- that decision was, you know, uh, not really made by you guys. But what is it like to kind of three years removed look back on your film as the one that kind of started that? Well, it's an honor, I think, even at the time, even though, you know, we worked endlessly to give the audience this uh, theatrical experience, you know, we mix it like it's a concert, the imagery is so big, and like Gina said, we wanted to immerse the audience in it, but what, even though we missed on that opportunity, what was great was that it came out at a time when the audience really needs it, and that's what these movies are about, you know, they're not about the technical achievements, they're about being able to share love and joy and bring happiness to the audience. And Trolls World Tour coming out the way it did brought a lot more joy, I think, than it might have otherwise, you know? Well, what's the future for the Trolls franchise? Uh, You know, three movies in, uh, will you both make another one? Or do you, you know, do you need a break? Like, where where are you at with Trolls? (laughs) Gina? Well, I think we're always going to be thinking about the next trolls and the world and if we you know have the privilege of making another movie like we're already on it (laughs) it's like we said there's endless possibilities in the troll universe you know we're always kind of entertaining each other about different ideas and where we could go so we'll just see if the world wants it for sure that's great you've both been at dreamworks for so long why has dreamworks been a good home for you both for me, it's because it's a there's no house style, I think, for a DreamWorks movie that they allow the filmmakers to dictate what the movie looks, feels like. You know, you can't like tonally, you can have a How to Train Your Dragon and a Trolls, you know, like that we can express ourselves how we think the movie needs to be expressed. That's why I love it. Plus, it's got all the best artists around the world working at this place. Mm-hmm. I also love that we are able to have our inside the DreamWorks culture, we're able to create our own show culture. And it feels like trolls, like the stories of the trolls kind of reflect the culture, the collaborative nature that Walt and I um, set the tone for, you know, our, our environment with our how we work with the artists and how everybody has a voice. So I just, I love being able to kind of create that bubble for everybody on the show. Amazing. Well, it definitely paid off with Trolls Band Together. Uh, So excited that it's back in theaters for this installment and I can't wait for more people to see it. Thank you for your time. Thank Thank you. Great talking to you. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Daniel Howitt's interview with the director for Trolls Band Together, Walt Dorn, and the film's producer, Gina Shea, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Trolls Band Together is now playing in theaters from Universal Pictures and is up for your consideration this year for Best Animated Feature and Best Original Song. 
You have been listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For a $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you all so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. Hello, this is Gary Chachot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.